everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming in Corey Haynes, who is the founder of Conversion Factory and Swipe Files. And his last name is spelled H-A-I-N-E-S. He can be found online on his website, Corey.co, or best on Twitter, at Corey Haynes CO. And we have quite the conversation around starting, how he started his businesses, thinking about his identity and how that shifted over the years, how he played, you know, a lot with self-limiting beliefs growing up and how he had to adjust that as he got to college and beyond and surrounding himself with the right people to help him think differently. We dive into a lot of different pockets um, in this conversation. So I hope you all enjoy it. And without further ado, please welcome in Corey Haynes. Corey, good to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Been looking forward to it. Yeah, same on this end. Um, excited to have this conversation. A lot of different angles we're going to take and excited for you to share your story. I thought we'd start just kind of, again, being the Just Get Started podcast. And I always found the foundation of how someone is kind of living their life. There, there's got to be somewhere that that started. And I'm curious for you around marketing. A lot of the businesses you've started, a lot of the ways you help people, there's a core function of marketing. Where did that come from? Why, why did you decide that as your life path at this point? Yeah, um, I think probably like a, a lot of other guests before me, um, I sort of fell into it a little bit. I always, it, so the full story is that I I knew since I was like 19, I wanted to do, to do something more entrepreneurial. It was a kind of interesting conversation with a friend. I was, I was on a road trip with him and we were going out to see some friends out in Arizona. I'm in San Diego. So it's about a four hour drive. And there's one stretch where it's like three hours of just flat straight road. And so it's incredibly boring and you get to all sorts of existential questions in life. So we were talking about, you know, what what we want to do after we graduate and what our goals are and dreams. And he was telling me about all his big aspirations to start companies and uh, get into different industries and, um, you know, I don't know, all these different things he wanted to do. And by that point, I would, out of high school kind of decided, well, I think I wanted to go into like finance or accounting. And that's what I was going to school for. And I just wanted to get a good job and, you know, build a pension and retirement and, uh, you know, put in my, my 40 years, my 30 years, and then have a pretty normal life. And he kind of opened my worldview, my perspective up to like what else was out there. And so, so then I started reading books and listening to podcasts and really exploring like what's, what's out there. Uh, the big thing was listening to a podcast called Mixergy and just hearing a lot of different stories of like, you know, you hear about these guys who, uh, you know, created like a, a garbage collection franchise that does, you know, half a billion dollars a year. And then you have guys, you know, creating websites for a living and you're just all sorts of stuff that you never even knew was possible. And so by that point, I kind of switched gears a little bit and knew that I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, but I wasn't quite sure what yet. But I knew that, you know, finance and accounting was a fairly like solid degree to get and a pretty, you know, it was in like the business sphere. So as long as I kept on that track, maybe I'd find what I was interested in. And then how I fell, in, fell into marketing in particular was um, my goal was always to graduate college without any student debt. And so um, I did two years at a community college that ended up backfiring because I didn't realize till later that you kind of lose a lot of your first year freshman scholarships when you do that. Oh. So then when I, when I went to go transfer into SDSU here locally, 
I realized that I would have had to go into a lot of debt to, you know, make up the difference. Um, but I ended up getting a scholarship from another smaller college that I applied to really last minute called San Diego Christian College, also local. And they offered me a full scholarship. So I was like, sweet, I'm just going to take it. It's might not be what I thought or what I wanted, but you know, this is another, um, you know, this I think is the right path for me and, you know, helps me achieve my goal. But I didn't realize until the first day when I enrolled that they didn't offer a finance or accounting degree. <laughs> they only offered marketing or global business. So I chose marketing because I didn't know any other languages and I didn't really know what global business was about. Um, but then it turned out that as I started getting into the curriculum, I realized that a lot of the podcasts I was listening to, a lot of the books I was reading, a lot of my interests actually were kind of in that sphere of marketing and very much not in the sphere of accounting and finance um, because I consider myself more of like an introverted salesperson. Um, I love the psychology part of marketing. I love the kind of mixture of art and science where it's not like a perfect formula. It's not as like mathematic as engineering, for example, but it's also not, you know, a pure kind of art, like, uh, you know, education or anything like that. So, um, marketing ended up being a really good fit. And after getting my first internship, that kind of solidified for me that I think that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't know if you have friends that are in accounting, you dodge the bullet there. <laughs> yeah, all no, I, hear I, I do. And they'll tell me the same thing. <laughs> all I hear from them is like, oh my God, this could be so mundane and boring, you know? So good, good for you there. You, you actually said something right at the beginning of that. I wanted to touch on because I think it's something I actually went through. And I think a lot of folks go through is this, we get out of high school or getting near college or into college. And we have this worldview that like, okay, I'm just going to get a degree. I'm going to go get a comfortable job. I'm going to, you know, maybe have a family someday. And we kind of think almost, you know, as I kind of call it, like play small ball with life because we didn't know any different. Is, is that kind of how you brought up? Not, I don't know how your family life was growing up, but did were you not around folks that were starting business then or doing anything outside the the normal job? Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my family has been very like blue collar and lower middle class, I would say. Uh, my mom was a school teacher for 25 years. My dad was a school bus driver for 35 years-ish. Mm. Um, a lot of family members were you know, painters or construction workers or, you know, every, anything blue collar related. And it wasn't until I got to high school and started making friends with, uh, with kids whose dads were entrepreneurs and, you know, they owned a landscaping company or they managed a um, car dealership or, you know, they had all these different ventures that it really started opening my mind to what else was out there. And I think a lot of it too, was a lot of just limiting beliefs, um, to me, I looked at those people even then after seeing the businesses that they started, and I kind of had this idea that to be an entrepreneur, you had to be super, you know, risk taking and uh, have a, a high risk tolerance. You had to be really extroverted and charismatic and a salesperson, or you had to just be like a Silicon Valley tech genius and yeah. an engineer mind. And I just felt like I was neither one of those two. So it wasn't really a good fit for me. And that's when I think, you know, especially listening to those podcast episodes, a lot of those guys will tell you, like, I am not qualified for my job. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and I'm, sometimes I'm listening to them and I'm like, man, I could do that. Like, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm smarter than that guy or I'm better equipped than that guy. Or, you know, there was nothing special about that person. And then they started this, you know, multi-million dollar business that gave me the, the confidence and the inspiration to have that belief in myself too. Mm. 
what were when you think of the limiting beliefs now, and and then maybe if we fast forward to today, what are some of the main foundation pieces of like why are some people and and the, the word success is always difficult because everyone has a different definition of it. But in terms of folks that are let's say they start a business or they're doing things that align with the mission they have in life versus just taking that paycheck week in, week out. What are some of those foundation pieces that you found um, in maybe those individuals that are kind of doing the former? As far as like what their limiting beliefs are? No, like wh- why are they successful? Why are, why did, oh. why are they starting? Why are they moving forward versus others not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think some of it is, I wouldn't say like genetic, but there's something, there's some trait about a person that's more entrepreneurial where they just have like a, a just do it attitude. It's just, let's try and see what happens. Um, I've always been that way myself too, very like action oriented, a self-starter. Uh, I just want to go out there and, and do it and try it and make it happen. And I don't like thinking like, you know, I can't do something for some reason. Like there's probably always a way or there's a hack or a trick or a connection or an intro or some way that I can make it happen. And a lot of the other people, I think they just don't really have that same mindset or really if they're really honest with themselves, they're probably just too scared to find out mm. and they don't want to to fail. You know, there's the fear of failure and all the optics and, you know, what will people think about me and what would I tell people? And then I have to go, you know, scrounge for an intro for another job or, or, you know, be a disappointment to my family in some way. But, um, I think I gave up on that idea and that, that fear a long time ago, just knowing like, no, there's a, there's a lot of courage in trying to start stuff and the odds are more in your favor than you might think. You know, it's not just a, it's not a moonshot every single time you can start small and you can, um, you can do things that have a much higher success rate. And, you know, don't pick restaurants, right. <laughs> those types of ideas where it's like, look, if you just put in the work and if you have a pretty like proven formula based on what, what's been working for other people, then like the only reason why this should fail is because of you, you know, either like a big character flaw or you don't work hard enough. That's always been my mindset. It's like, well, if I just devote myself to this thing, like I'm going to make it work some way or another. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the people that I've talked to have that same mindset where they just kind of like yeah, I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it work. And that's a little bit unique for whatever reason compared to everyone else who sticks to their normal job, which by the way, I'm also like, I tell a lot of people, like, I I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur and I don't think it's necessarily like a, a better life, quote unquote, but for people who do have that desire, there are a lot of those people who keep themselves in this box, in this cage because of those limiting beliefs. Yeah. Now it's a great point. And, and by the way, even if you have a full-time job and you, cause some people, yeah, they, they love that, right? They, they want to have that full-time job. That's kind of their head down toward that. It doesn't mean you can't do things on the side. It doesn't mean you can't start something oh, yeah. you wanted to start. Or, Absolutely. And I think that's where I hear a lot of the conversations I have with friends or folks. And now I've been doing this long enough. I'll have a lot of folks approach me and be like, you know, Oh, Brian, I want to get started with this. Or, Hey, I want to write a book or, and my, my question always is like, okay, what's the first step? And it's interesting when you pose that to someone, they're like, oh, I don't, not that I don't know, but it's like, oh, I haven't even gone and tried to look like I want to do this. But, you know, so it's, it's to your point, going back to the action orient, I really like that because it is someone that says, hey, I don't know the answer, but gosh, I'm going to try to find out and at least see if this is an avenue that I want to go down. Right. I think that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a big area. 
yeah, you just have to be the one to take the first step. And that first step really is the hardest. And it sounds super cliche, yeah. <laughs> but even doing something as simple as doing a Google research, uh, a Google search to research, you know, how to start a business, like the one that you're interested in is a first step because like you said, a lot of people will just be like, oh yeah, I'd love to start something like that one day. And that's literally as far as they've ever gotten. And they can be in that stage for years where it's just an idea in their head and they've never actually done anything practical to look into how to do it. Mm. And, you know, another point on that, I think, is this idea of delayed gratification. I'm curious, maybe with some of your businesses that you've seen this is I think a lot of people don't start. And I know I didn't for a long time because of I was looking for the short term win versus no, I want to in five or 10 years. Here's what could be if I just put the effort in. And it's the same. You know, it's like going to the gym. You're not you can go work out for four hours. Great. But it's better off maybe put 20, 30 minutes in each day over the next few weeks. You're going to have a better results that way. How do you think about like delaying gratification and being okay with not having it perfect today, knowing that if you put the time in, it could be better down the road? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, a few different aspects of that come to mind. Um, one, obviously, is just the the time investment. There was a lot of nights and weekends, which I know I was pretty much the only one of you know, me and my kind of close friend circle who, who was doing that consistently for years, you know, just putting in a couple extra hours, a couple extra days per week. And that does add up, you know, when you think about it, it was basically I treated it like a part-time job. Okay. I literally had days where I was like, okay, Monday and Thursday nights, I'm working on X project and Saturday mornings I'm working on X project. And then I would do that for years. And then I would keep filling that spot with new projects, new ventures, new things that I was trying to work on um, when everyone else was, you know, sitting on the TV watching Netflix or, uh, or even going to the gym or, you know, there's a lot of different trade-offs that you have to make, mm -hmm. but just doing that consistently. Um, you know, I was doing the nights and weekends thing, uh, you know, up until like last year, pretty much. <laughs> and still today there's, there's some late nights, but it's a little bit different because now I'm working full-time on all of, you know, my own ventures. But um, when I still had a, a full-time job or I was consulting on the side and then working on this other thing that was, you know, the dream for me, I would have scheduled time and putting in the, the extra hours when I didn't even want to a lot of times. Um, another big thing was just making some some sacrifices financially. Uh, I still don't own a house mainly because, um, you know, up until this year, I didn't have like an actual W-2 job from one of my own businesses. And so when you're self-employed, it's a lot harder to get a mortgage. Mm -hmm especially in a place like San Diego, which is super expensive. And uh, they just, you know, I actually, I actually tried one time and um, the process was just so like painstaking that I just kind of gave up on it because there was so much paperwork and questions and um, all these different hoops they want you to jump through in order to prove that uh, your business is actually right. good and your, your income is stable right, and right. stuff like that. Um, so that's definitely been like a financial aspect of it. Um, a lot of, uh, self-investment as well. Um, early on, I think from one of, one of my earlier jobs, uh, I was listening to a podcast and they talked about how they had an unlimited learning budget for themselves. And they would talk about spending tens of thousands of dollars per year on their own education and skill development. And I took that super seriously. And every book that I would get recommended, rec recommended I would buy on Amazon and send to my Kindle. If there were courses or things I wanted to learn, I would just buy it on no matter how much that costs because I knew it was an investment in myself mm -hmm. for later. And um, that definitely costs a decent amount of money. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was, you know, it was kind of like 
you know, some people work on cars and that's their expensive hobby. Some people, um, you know, fill in the blank with whatever their, uh, expensive hobby it is. And for me, for a couple of years, it was just reinvesting back in myself and skills and, and learning development. So, um, but yeah, a lot of it too, was just paychecks, you know, not trying to go for the promotion, not trying to job hop a, bu a bunch of times just to kind of optimize for getting the best, you know, working at the best company or getting the best title, working for, you know, getting the best promotion, um, but more reinvesting that effort into my own ventures and kind of knowing that my, not that my career would have suffered, but again, I was making trade-offs for, yeah. I'm not looking to be a CMO one day. I'm looking to be a CEO of my own business one day. Mm. Yeah. And you, and so you, yeah, I I love how you put that because instead of taking another job, maybe it was a ten thousand dollar increase, but now all of a sudden there might be more oversight or the projects, and all of a sudden it takes away from your hours that you want to grow your business. So it, the trade off didn't work in terms of the the net gain, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, that's another thing that was just a, a paradigm shift, especially compared to a lot of people where they're always kind of programmed to think about the next promotion, the next raise the next thing they can do for their job. And, you know, it's hard because I knew that I wasn't giving a hundred percent all the time to the company as I was, I was working for, but that was again, another trade-off and sacrifice I had to make where, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to put in the extra hours for your business. I want to put in the extra hours for my future business. And um, yeah, that probably, I missed out on some promotions or some raises, but uh, for me, a lot of the jobs that I took were more about what would I learn and gain experience in versus, you know, how would this look on my resume, yeah. essentially? Yeah. What was the time gap between like first idea for a business and then leaving your job? Oh boy. <laughs> first of all, which one? <laughs> and, well, more, uh, more of, in, you know, when I mean in, in terms of going out on your own, which it seems like you're out on your own right now. Yeah. When was that? Because I think this is another thing that gets lost is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you know, the money's just going to be falling from the trees and I'm going to leave mm -hmm. my job. It doesn't always work like that. It could take many years. So I'm just kind of curious yeah. if you can paint that picture a little bit. Sure. I'll, I'll tell you basically like the, uh, the long story at that or the long version of that story, which is that um, when I first planned to leave my job and go out my, on my own full time was uh, September 2020. I just gotten laid off. It was the middle of COVID. The business was in a huge transition. They're about to get acquired. And also like not, you know, everything was really slowed down. Everyone was really scared. And so people have to make hard cuts and, um, and marketing is usually one of the first places to go in a time like that, because it's just kind of extra spend. Um, and so my plan was to do consulting on the side and then to reinvest a lot of that time into building a, this side project of mine called Spite Files that I'd already been working on for about eight months ish, but that was nowhere near to being like a full-time, uh, a full-time salary, especially. So to take a step back for a second, then, um, going from idea to launch on swipe files was only like a week <laughs> because most of the time when I have an idea, uh, I'm pretty quick when I decide I want to do it to then like starting to do it. So I had this idea for a newsletter that would, um, do breakdowns of, ads and emails and, um, and landing pages, and then provide commentary on, you know, why it works, what makes it good? What can you learn about this example? Hence, you know, the idea of a swipe file is the point of the whole thing. And, um, so bought the domain, started writing content within like a week of that. 
And then nights and weekends, that was my project, you know, in, in 2020 essentially was swipe files. So when I got laid off and then I went up, you know, on, on my own, I picked up some consulting gigs, but then I was treating swipe files as another part-time job. And it took about another year for it to be providing enough money for me to stop consulting. But I ended up not stopping consulting because it was going fairly well and life expenses had gone up. So now the, the amount of money that I thought I needed right. now was was more. Right. <laughs> and it was like, I could live off of this, but the cash flow was really like feast or famine and it was up and down. And it was a little bit unpredictable. So I was trying to still provide some stability and kind of hedge my bets so I didn't have to put myself in a tough position. Um, and then I ended up going back in house for a while for a startup, um, because, uh, of some life circumstances and, um, and think it was a really good idea joining a friend essentially. And then that didn't work out. And that's when I, during that time, I had started brewing the idea for this agency conversion factory. And, uh, again, from the time of like having the idea to launching, it was probably about a month. And then that next month. Uh, we were drawing a salary from Conversion Factory, and now I'm you know full time on my own. But it's been about three years in the making with lots of different mm. <laughs> uh, U-turns and um, you know obstacles throughout the way. Mm. A lot of good points. There. I want to dig into a couple of those. Did you have, from an identity standpoint? Was there any point during that journey? Now, it could have been when you lost a job in 2020. It could have been even going back. Was there kind of a battle identity-wise that like, oh, I thought I was going to be on my own. I can't do it. I have to go back in and get a job. Like, did you have to battle yourself during those periods? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I knew it was going to be messy. But again, I just thought if I put in the, the time and the hard work and really apply myself, then I will make it work. And I did, but it just, there were so many other factors that I didn't expect around, you know, different expenses that would come up, life circumstances, you know, wanted to take a vacation and then not being able to take vacation, new purchase that had to be made, um, realizing that there's a bit a, a big difference between like going full-time and working on my business versus having enough to like reinvest and delegate and hire other people to work on my business for me, right? A huge, huge difference between that, you know, between like you being the business and someone else being, uh, you know, running the business for you, or at least being another kind of cog in the machine, essentially. So yeah, there was a bunch of times where I was like, man, this is embarrassing. I don't want to tell so-and-so how it's going, or it's not as going as well as I thought that it would, or I hit this milestone six months after I thought that I would have, so I feel behind. Um, there was also a big part of that was like my end goal was and still always is kind of like a, a pipe dream for me is to be running a SaaS company and to have a SaaS startup that's successful. But bootstrapping a software company is extremely difficult because 99% of the software companies out there, you know, raise money. They go through seed and then series A, series B, series C, and you always have money in the bank to pay yourself and to hire a team and, it's, and to keep working on these, th on these things to, to skip years of, uh, of painstaking hard work that you'd have to do yourself. Hmm. And so trying to bootstrap a software company also had, you know, turned out to be a lot harder. So there was a big question mark in my mind around like, am I cut out for starting a software company? And like, is this the right path for me? And can I do it? Is it even possible? Um, how much of, how much is luck uh, a major factor here? And 
you know, are my ideas good? You know, I, a lot of those types of questions that maybe rethink like, what's my goal? What am I capable of doing? What's the right thing for me at this stage of my life and trying to juggle all those things at the same time? Well, and I think you're right because there's, you know, we see the folks that just go out and raise a ton of money and it's like, oh, that's the only path, but you can bootstrap it. It's a, I actually, I'm seeing this, I mean, real time is my brother kind of in the similar path to you, but like he built, he just, he, he under, he had a web development company. So he understood web development, but had no idea on software. And I give, I give him a lot of credit. Like he learned to code and he built, and it literally just launched. It's called fetch. Um, it's for like the canine training industry. And he built this whole platform by himself. It's only him. <laughs> and, uh, that's but, awesome. But same thing. He's like launching, he's bootstrapping. He doesn't have investors. It's, yeah. it's his money and his family, you know, his, his wife and stuff like they just doing it together. So it's really interesting. I guess, what are some of the, if someone's saying, okay, I want to build something, what are some of the, the key takeaways from your journey that maybe you would guide them either in one direction or another to get started? Mm -hmm. I mean, especially bootstrapping, I feel like, like I, I haven't built a big successful software company yet. I built lots of little things that have been uh, minorly successful. And it's also part of the, the learnings and part of the issue as well. It's like, what do you do when you build something that is making, you know, a few or you know, low thousands of dollars per month where it's working just well enough where you're like, oh, there's something here, yeah. but not well enough for you to go full time on it or to start hiring other people or even to raise money on it, to be honest. Um, that's the real difficult part is, okay, you put in all this time and effort and you really scraped and clawed your way to this small milestone, but now you plateau. Where do you go from there? And that's really hard because that's actually where what happens to a lot of software companies and a lot of, you know, a lot of these kind of entrepreneurial endeavors in the, the SaaS space, especially is it's mediocrely uh, successful. And so it can be difficult to really hit that next growth curve, or you have to make a hard decision of, you know, letting it go on the back burner and working on something else. And then going through that exact same process again of, you know, going through customer research and validation MVP, roll it out, build a marketing engine all over again and time and time yeah. and time again, which is why raising money makes that so much easier because you have more people where you can move faster and you can basically uh, accelerate all those different iterations um, to where you can do it 10 times faster than you would bootstrapped. Um, so for me, again, one of the things I learned was uh, the co-founder is absolutely essential. You need the right person who's also uh, a self-starter and a go-getter and who understands that this is a, a hard process and it's not going to be success in the very first try, probably. Um, I think also just knowing, like for me, over the summer, I also learned how to code because there are a lot of ideas that I didn't want to ask someone else to build for me or pay someone to build because I didn't know how much merit that idea had. But I'm willing to put in my time nights and weekends to go and build it and then see if it has any legs. And then if it does, I can, I can always partner up and you know, hand it off to a co-founder or to a developer that I hire later on. Right. Um, so the thing I, I think I learned, especially with SaaS is you can't force it as much as you want to, you just cannot force it. <laughs> Sometimes it takes, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, a lot of iterations. Um, it's made easier by raising money. My opinion is that raising money is, um, you know, it's a little bit like, like alcohol, you're kind of borrowing from tomorrow in a sense. So 
investors want to return and you're 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 creating a ceiling for or you're creating a, a really high floor for what success looks like and that's why i like bootstrapping because it gives you a lot more autonomy and um, the bar can be lower for what success really looks like it doesn't have to be a billion dollar outcome or bust um, but you just can't force it as much as you want to um, it's been my big my big thing tell me about this i i saw through some research that you're using the stair step method to, to bootstrap can you share a little bit of what that is Sure. Yeah. It's a framework by this guy, Rob Walling, who runs uh Startups for the Rest of Us podcast. Excellent podcast. If you're into um, bootstrapping software, especially. He co-founded Drip and now he runs Tiny Seed, which is like an accelerator for uh, software companies. And he called his process of kind of how he broke into entrepreneurship, the stair step method, where you know step one is a pretty small step. And you basically want to create something built on another platform with one marketing channel and it might even be like a one-time sale. So it's like a downloadable, it's a ebook. Um, it's a, it's an email course. Um, it's, you know, Mac OS software, something very simple, very easy, kind of a no brainer, small price point. You just want to get out the door. Step number two is maybe something a little bit bigger. It's maybe, a, um, you know, a larger product suite. It might be a full blown course or it might be a, a Chrome extension or you know, it might be something that's kind of lives on its own, but you still have a pretty limited kind of option set of marketing where you want to have one or two marketing channels that work for you to prove that out. And then step three is, yeah, now you can get into things that are a little bit more complicated. You can build a, a software platform instead of just a software product. You have multiple marketing channels. And then you know, step four and beyond, it kind of keeps getting more complex with bigger rewards and bigger outcomes. So you have things like, I think e-commerce is extremely difficult. Two-sided marketplace is extremely difficult. Building anything hardware related, extremely difficult. You know, we're talking about technology yeah. and, um, you know, companies like Tesla or SpaceX or things that are really cutting edge, right? The AI pins, like we saw from Humane and all those types of companies. Um, but they, essentially the idea is like, look, don't try to jump up three stairs at once and go straight to you know, raising tens of million dollars for a big software platform that's going to revolutionize X industry. Start with something small and then like work your way up to it. So I really, I really tried to uh, exemplify that. And that's why I started with a newsletter, Swipe Files. And then I created my first course and I created another couple courses and then I created a membership. Um, I tried to build software and skip a couple steps. But now I would say I'm around, you know, step two or three where I have this, uh, this agency, a prototype service. And I'm trying to build software on the side. I don't think I'll ever get to a two-sided marketplace or e-commerce. I'll leave those to some other people. But I'm trying to essentially earn my way up to the more complex, you know, for me, SaaS is the final boss, if you will. Um, and you have to work your way up to it instead of just jumping straight there. And yeah, I don't want to lose the site that you said, I just learned to code this summer. Like it's, you know, some something you do on the weekend <laughs> quickly. Um what, how did you learn? What, what, what did you use? And, and I'm curious, even from what you've been learning, like if someone was starting to, to code today, like what language would you recommend they start in? Do you take any yeah. of those in, in whatever order? Yeah, I can do all of them at once pretty much. So I, w I did a two week live coding bootcamp because I wanted something that was really immersive and in person and where I would have a lot of focused time because I had bought a couple online courses and I did some tutorials online but programming is such a um, uh, 
like there's so many factors that have to come together all at once with your um your local coding environment what languages you want to learn what you're even trying to build are you trying to build a web app versus a mobile app versus a game versus you know fill in the blank a, a simple website mm -hmm. they're all very different so this boot camp that i went to is by a guy named ryan culp that's called founder hackers founderhacker.com if you want to look it up um and it's just focused on shipping web app mvps which is what i was interested in so he teaches exclusively ruby on rails and that's a pretty tried and true uh, kind of old school framework, but there's still, it's very like lively and it's constantly being updated. There's lots of great plugins. It's an awesome like environment and ecosystem for learning to program. That's also pretty beginner friendly because uh, Ruby is, it reads very easily and very well. And Rails is a framework that has a lot of magic behind it. Things kind of just magically work. So it's very beginner friendly in that way. And in two weeks, you build some sample apps with him online and you also build your own app and he's there to kind of help you get unstuck and answer questions and you're putting in long hours from you know nine to midnight most days <laughs> taking breaks to you know eat and shoot guns or go out for a drink once in a while but for the most part like you're there to kind of grind it out and just really immerse yourself and um so i i didn't really know if i would be able to learn within two weeks um but it turns out it's possible i think especially when you cut out a lot of the craft of unnecessary things that people want you to learn to be a good developer, but that don't necessarily translate to building your own apps. It was just like the bare, bare essentials. Um, and I actually wrote a blog post on it. If you want to like expand on it more, or kind of link it for the audience yeah. on my blog, I can send you the link. It's on my personal site, Corey.co. You can find it there, but um, I wrote about my whole experience and kind of the takeaways of what to learn and, and why and, um, and now having learned to code, kind of my perspective of how my my thinking and my uh, my attitude toward coding has changed. Mm. What was it before? Um, I think I just thought that programming was for people smarter than me. Uh, and it turns out that it's not. You can be pretty dumb like me and still be a good programmer or decent enough. Um, I think especially because one of the things that's awesome about today in 2023 is you have so many amazing resources including things like ChatGPT, uh, which I use a, a code editor called Cursor, which is a fork of VS Code, one of the biggest uh, code editors out there that incorporates ChatGPT into a side panel so it has full context of your code base. And then there's also GitHub Copilot, which is like autocomplete on steroids. And it's really just never been easier given the resources that, that we have because uh, the ecosystems are very mature. And so it's, it's definitely never been easier it's also hard because um, it can be cheating in some senses, and there's just so many different parts to learn. They can be overwhelming. Mm. But again, if you can immerse yourself for two weeks or a month or you know, just really commit yourself to learning something in particular, you need like a really focused track for learning programming. Otherwise, you kind of just get lost. And you don't understand how things connect, and you won't learn enough to be able to connect the dots to build something yourself. You'll always be kind of siloed in a safe environment from someone else. Hmm. How do you learn? At, so after the two weeks, uh, you know, because begin be, being a beginner learner is awesome. I think everyone should do yeah. that often. But like, how do you keep building on that from, from two weeks? Like, what have you done? Is there certain practices hmm. you do each day? Or is it just you just being in the, you know, the, the programming, if you will, of, of your technology? Yeah, some of it is definitely you 
you're forced to learn by uh by things that just come up and you realize i don't know how to do that so i need to go do some research or ask a friend um and the really cool part about the programming community especially which i think is like so unique to any other discipline that i found so far is that there's a lot of knowledge just up in people's brains that are in there doing the work all the time and you can't find it anywhere else on the internet but if they're there and they're willing to help, which most people are really, really willing to help. Programmers are extremely generous with their time and their knowledge is that they can transfer some of that knowledge down to you. And so you just have to ask around. <laughs> That's why uh, Stack Overflow is very successful because there's so many edge cases and things you come up across that you just need someone else's input on. Um, but the other thing I think is just really important is uh, forcing yourself to keep doing new things. So, um, uh, I right away, you know, I, I built like a little MVP for an app at the camp and I just decided, okay, I'm going to continue to build this out after camp to start charging money and get users and launch it and really make a go at it. And so I did that. And then I had an opportunity from a friend who asked me to build an app for my church. And, uh, instead of me doing like a one-time fee, I said, Hey, why don't I kind of sassify this so I can roll it out to other people in the future. And you just pay me a monthly fee to like develop it and I'll, have a first version for you ready in a couple months. And so then I was forced to learn a whole a bunch of other new things I'd never done before in order to build the feature set that was needed for that new app. And now I'm rolling that out at the end of this month. So I had to learn a ton of new things, you know, a new framework, a bunch of uh, new interest, interesting stuff around search engines and um, data architecture and uh, all that kind of stuff that you're just, if you're building new stuff, you're forced to learn new things because you're just going to come up against stuff that uh, you've never seen before. So um, I think that's definitely helped like set me apart from some of the other people at camp too, is just constantly being like forcing ourselves to ship something. When you get it out to other people, it's a forcing function to complete it for one, mm -hmm. but two, to really like button up everything. So, you know, type all the loose lens, um, make sure the user experience is good. Stuff that you would never really think about if you were like checking a box going through an online course to kind of just, you know, get it done enough so you can complete the course. Mm. How do you, how do you stay focused with all this stuff you're doing? What, like, how do you separate out your calendar? I'm, I'm just kind of curious because you got a lot of like cool projects you're working on. Like, do you battle yeah. with always wanting to try new things or do you kind of put corners around certain of the big projects? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, these days, nine to five conversion factory is my job. So I treat that like a job. Mm. I live and buy it up by live and die by the calendar. I schedule everything out, every task. Um, it's all, it's all there for me to work on within those hours. And then, um, these days I'm kind of back in that grind a little bit, especially with programming, which has been very exciting is putting some extra hours on the weekends and some nights when I have the, the energy or the time or the opening, um, to do it. And, but really I think, but What's been one of the keys for me has been working more in sprints and batches. Hmm. So it's not just like a, a constant slow drip, you know, I'll go in August for two weeks to only do coding. <laughs> and then that'll like really help me accelerate and expedite a lot of the learning process to, you know, to get further than I would before. Um, with the newsletter with swipe files, I do most of my writing, you know, within like a couple of weeks, a few times a year. Instead of publishing, you know, one new article per week throughout the year, I'll publish 20 new articles 
you know, twice a year and just spend a couple of weeks doing those, um, you know, in once in uh, March or April, and then once in right, right now in December, I'm a little bit behind. I need to, to write some more, but working in sprints like that helps me to just yeah. look at this kind of big batch, break it down into small components and then clear it out and then get it done. And then that kind of gives me the energy and the focus to do that again for another thing. Cause I get bored with monotonous stuff and things that become too routine. Yeah. I have to kind of push myself in these sprints to, to bash things together and, um, and, and accelerate the kind of the work speed that I would normally, you know, forcing me to work faster and have more urgency with those types of projects. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very similar. I, I agree with you there. Cause I even like with the podcast, I'll try to batch episode like recordings. Um, and I have those typically four to eight weeks like scheduled out in the future. But even like when you said the newsletter, it made me think about, so I have had a blog for over two years, about three per week. Um, but yeah, two and a half years though, three per week, but I'm like two months, like I have, we're recording this end of November. I have all through the end of January already scheduled out, ready to go. But you know what I found too, and, and I'm sure I wonder if it's the same with you. It's now between now and the end of January, like I'll start planning like February, March in like probably late December, early January. But now I'm just kind of, if an idea pops in my head, I'm kind of jotting it down. I'm making some notes. So it's almost like I'm starting to formulate, I'm building that snowball so when it is time, now I can just go full throttle. Do you feel the same way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that I probably, I just don't think about anymore because it's so ingrained in the way that I do stuff. But I'm a, um, annoyingly uh, like detailed note taker for everything. Any little thought that pops in my head, it gets dumped on the notes file in a notes folder somewhere. It gets popped into Slack for other people to to read. It gets put somewhere in Notion as an idea. Mm. Like I'm definitely always documenting, ideating, storing things away for the future. And that way it kind of, it skips and eliminates the the blank canvas problem where you're staring at a screen. I'm like, what do I write? Oh no, I already have, you know, 50 drafts in Webflow mm. of all these other blogs I want to write. I already have 20 drafts in ConvertKit of all these other newsletter ideas I have. All I need to do is, expand them and fill in the blanks and keep riffing on those ideas, do some more research. But I've, I've done the hard work of having the idea in the first place and create, you know, putting something, putting pen to paper so that I can just immediately jump into it. And I don't waste any time trying to think about what to do. Do you put time like corner time around like thinking or ideation, just like getting away from a computer and did you do anything like that or? I love that idea. I have not though. <laughs> I wish that I would. And people have given me this advice over the years too. And I think it's great advice, but you know, schedule, you know, the last Friday of the month to just kind of take off to to think and to write and reflect. And I think this is more just me. It's a little bit more of my kryptonite, but I'm kind of always living in the future, always thinking ahead and planning ahead and looking towards the next thing. So for me sitting down to like think and write and reflect I'm like, I've already been doing a lot of this throughout the week. Why? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of empty a little bit. Yeah. So I just incorporate it more day to day. You know, I'll have random ideas and notes at 11 o'clock at night that I'll just go spend and write down, you know, some ideas on the computer before I fall asleep. And I think that kind of adds up to the equivalent of, you know, one day a month sitting down and really reflecting and writing and thinking. Um, so whatever works for you, right? Uh, yeah. This, I guess, is what works for me. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe I'm missing out. I don't know, but it hasn't been a practice for me. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've always thought about it just because we're so, for me, like personally, so tied to the computer and you're so looking at the screen and you have all this the digital stuff in your face. For me, it's just like, hey, for an hour, I'm just going to literally take a pen and pa piece of paper and a, you know go sit like in a different area of the house and just see what comes to my mind. Like maybe it's an idea I'm thinking on. Hey, let me just jot it down. Let me outline. Let me scribble. That's where it's been beneficial, at least where it's 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 more just stream of consciousness, but it gets me away from the tech and puts you yeah. in a different environment. Yeah, I will say I do have one daily practice kind of like that. I walk my dog twice a day and I'll just pop in headphones and listen to music and I'll walk him around for 15, 30 minutes. And in those times, I do have a lot of those types of ideas mm -hmm. and things will kind of just be mulling around in my subconscious that float to the surface. And I'm like, oh yeah, actually I should think about that more. Then I'll pop an idea down in Slack or write it in my notes folder or put it in Notion or do a Google search really quick and keep that tab open and put it on my computer a little bit later. But I think that that time I do do a lot of that thinking and planning and reflecting also. Mm. Well, of course, it's been a lot of fun. Of course, I had like a million stuff around product marketing that we're not going to get to today. So maybe we'll do a part two down the road if you're game. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Anything else on your mind? Any, you know, ask of the audience thoughts, things they should consider with their business or getting started? Anything you'd kind of end our conversation on that's on your mind? Man, I think... Um the 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 theme for me you know going with the the theme of you know just get started is also like don't force it if that can be like the counterbalance a little bit do just get started just go for it just start doing it go zero to one put pen to paper you know get rid of the blank canvas um be always thinking and planning and strategizing and and ideating but also like don't force it kind of let it come to you that's more just been my experience you know, me having these big dreams and aspirations. And I think like shooting for the stars, but landing on the moon and learning to be okay with landing on the moon and be like, this is actually also awesome. And I'm glad yeah. that I'm here. Yeah. And even though this doesn't look like the career path that I thought that it would, or that thing I thought would be successful wasn't, and the thing I thought wasn't, wouldn't be successful was, that's great. I'm going to learn to be content and grateful and excited about whatever's in front of me and, uh, and learning to kind of recognize the how to ride the wave, you know, and not, not follow the trends or fads, but more just like, where's your momentum taking you instead of trying to, you know, swim upstream and do something that you're trying to, you're trying to force just because you have a emotional attachment to it. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I think that's a good point to end on. I mean, I think going back to even all the way at the beginning, we talk about kind of that action focused, you know, it's, you're going to start finding things that you want to do more and more. And it's kind of leaning into those. But at the same time, as, as we've kind of talked about a few times, you can't do a million things. At some point, you have to kind of pick. And I think that balance is important of like, hey, this is really cool. But is it even the right time that I should do this? Because I have these three other things yeah. I've been working on. And, and just yeah. having that conversation with yourself to see if it's the right fit. I agree. Yeah. Corey, this is a lot of fun. Where can folks say hello online? Is there a watering hole on the social channels you hang out on the most? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely most active on Twitter, uh, at Corey Haynes Co. Um, there's also links to everything that I work on and other thoughts and ideas. Uh, my personal site, Corey.co, um, and then swifels.com and conversionfactory.co for like if you want direct links to check out what I've been doing. And those are the two businesses. Awesome, Corey. This has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much and uh, appreciate you, you coming on and sharing your journey. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.